My name is Javon McCormick. I am the president and CEO of Scribe Media. Uh, more importantly, I'm also a father and a husband. And on today, we are going to cover, wow, lessons from my pimp father. We're going to talk about my fuck it moments. And we're really going to dive into what did I learn from being sexually molested by that prostitute? What did I learn when I was in juvenile prison? Not juvenile detention, juvenile prison. What did I learn when I was in the hole, in that pitch black hole by myself as a 13 year old kid? So stay tuned. Welcome to another delicious episode of Curiosity Bites, the most binge-worthy podcast on the internet. If you'd like to join in the conversation about today's show or any of our past shows, you can simply go to the Curiosity Bites page on Facebook. My name is Dove Baron. I am your host, and I'm... If you want to find out more about me, maybe you do, maybe you don't, um, and about how I advise those who are at the top of their game to discover what's truly next, come on over to DoveBaron.com. Or you can email me. I'm actually going to give you my email, yes. D-O-V, Dove at DoveBaron.com. So consider this. Just as every artist is given the raw materials, uh, maybe a canvas and paint, or some other materials from which to form their creation, each of us is given the raw materials from which to form our life. What you create will evoke emotion. However, it's up to you, it's up to each of us, rather, to determine not only the quality of the life, that we sculpt, but also the emotions that he evokes. Some start out with pristine materials from which to build and sculpt, while others create from the most basic materials. Some artists take the things that other, other people throw out as trash, and they take that and they turn that trash into a thing of beauty, while others simply collect trash. What I'm deeply curious about is this. When we examine the raw materials that you and I were given, what will we do with them? That's a fascinating question for all of us to examine. Well, that's the rabbit hole that we're going to enter into on this delicious episode of Curiosity Bites. So grab a beverage, find a cozy corner, because our guest today is Javon McCormick. His background is colorful, to say the least. He was born the son of a black pimp father and a white orphaned mother. Today, he is the CEO of Scribe Media, a multi-million dollar publishing company that has recently been ranked as the number one top company culture in America by Entrepreneur Magazine. Scribe Media has worked with more than 1,800 authors, including members of the Nobel Peace Prize Committee, Nassim Taleb, and Dave Goggins, who you may be familiar with, his blockbuster book, you, book, you Can't Hurt Me, which has sold over 2 million copies. Our guest, Javon McCormick, made millions on the stock market, even though he never went to college. He was the president of a software company, even though he can't write code. And he's currently the CEO of a publishing company, even though he can't spell. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and help me welcome Javon McCormick! Dolph Baron, the man with the coolest name in the country. I love it, man. <laughs> Next is Javon, of course. Oh man, you know what? I, hey, I I just started going by Javon again, so that's that's. Uh, I, I got to get my coolness back up. <laughs> 
You know, I'm really glad you're here. And I always like to start with the show with the first question, which is, what do you find yourself curious about these days? Wow. You know, the, I, I'm going to just shoot off the first thing that comes to my mind. And, and that is, how do I give my four children everything and teach them to appreciate it? Uh, the very mm. reason I appreciate everything that I have is because I never had it growing, growing up, but right. they're growing up in a very different lifestyle. You know, they live in a gated community. They go to private Christian school. They, you know, my, my seven-year-old knows the, the difference between the Mandarin Oriental and JW Marriott. And that's, that's not the world I grew up in. So no. um, that, that is what I'm most curious about it right, right now at this moment, how do I give sure. my children everything and teach them to appreciate it? That's a really, really great thought. Um, because psychologically, as parents, uh, we learn to parent from our parents, and oftentimes we simply repeat the cycle, or we polarize it. So if we repeat the cycle, we give them nothing, and it's bad, and you know, or, or we, if we are brutalized, we brutalize our children, or we polarize it, and we give them everything, but they appreciate nothing. So it's really cool that you are understanding that balance and why it's um, why it's so important. Oh, definitely. And, and, and I won't be repeating the cycle of my parents. So I, I, I won't run into that one. <laughs> <laughs> we hope not, but we'll oh, get man. into that. Um, so let's, let's start here. What would, uh, what, what would even those people who know you, so not people who don't know you, but even the people who, who know you, what would they be surprised to learn about you? Wow. What would they be surprised to learn about me? Um, I would say mo most people are very surprised still to, to find this out that I am very much an, an introvert. Mm -hmm. uh, I just happen to be a good extrovert and, and I much rather stay home. I don't want to go out. I don't, I'm not big on social gatherings. Yeah. I give keynote speeches and I can stand on stage and I can do all that good stuff, but I, I prefer to be home. I prefer to be with my family. I'm very, very low key. I'll, I'll take a movie over uh, a, a bar. I'll take a movie over uh, any type of social gathering. So I'm very, very low key. It, it's interesting, isn't it? That um, many, many, many people who are seen as being extroverted are often introverted. Yes. Um, I, I, I myself, I'm an introvert naturally but i've trained myself to be an extrovert but i also think it's part of coming from a kind of certain kind of background that you learn how to work your way through a system you find a way to to the if you're too quiet in a system you're going to get hammered down but if you're too noisy in a system you're going to get noticed and how to know when to be an introvert and when to be an extrovert definitely comes from the kind of interesting, let's use that term right now, interesting backgrounds that you and I might have come from. Oh man, what well, 100%. I, yeah. I can tell you, hands down, the extrovert in me came 100% from my father. Watching him, how everybody loved him, how he spoke to everyone, how he greeted everyone. And that I, how, how he could, his communication skills were, were just impeccable. 
and that's where the extrovert came came from the introvert still to this day my mom is just i think she may have two friends she she's not social it was just her and i growing up and i i learned to 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 be that way so uh, interesting enough i always have joked with myself uh, my extrovert is the black side of my father the introvert is the white side of my mother <laughs> That's interesting. That is very interesting. Um, so let's let's sort of take people back a little bit just for context. Um, you know, I mentioned in the introduction that you were uh, the son of a black father, uh, a white orphaned mother. Um, just sort of frame that a little bit so that people will have a grasp. We can go into the depth of it in a little bit, but let's start there. Yeah, my, uh, so, you know, I, I was born in the 70s and, you know, uh, hell, some pe for some people, mixed race still isn't a good look, but I was born in the 70s and it damn sure wasn't a good look in, in the 70s. You know, black, black people didn't like me because I was half white. White people didn't like me because I was half black. And it, it's, what, the dynamic that was interesting is coming from a pimp father who had 23 children. I, I'm one of 23 kids. My dad had 23 kids. But not I'm, with your mom. Not with my mom. I'm the only one by my mother. My, my dad, this will put it in perspective. My dad had 23 kids and the most he had by one woman was three. So that lets you know how much he got around. And just a little bit. Just a little bit. And then yeah. with, with my mother, I, I, and I'm not embarrassed of this. I, I, I accept it. And it's just the, the way life is. Mm -hmm. I'm actually a product of an, a bad abortion. And what I mean by that is when my mother got pregnant the first time, she had an illegal abortion. And it was so bad that the next time she got pregnant, which was with me, she took her chances on having a kid versus having an abortion again. So you, I can only imagine how bad that abortion must have been that you said, okay, I'm going to take my chances with raising the kid for the next 18 years versus go through that again. But yeah, that's that right there. I mean, just to put a little, little pin in it for a minute. I mean, that right there brings up a whole subject matter of, you know, women's rights around, yeah. around their own bodies, because when we start making it illegal to, I mean, I am old enough that I remember, I remember abortion being illegal in the UK when I was a kid. And I remember my mom's friends doing things that they shouldn't have been doing with coat hangers. Yeah. And when I think about that and oh my God, I mean, it's, it's horrifying. And then people are saying, you know, well, we shouldn't allow abortions. And like, well, if you don't, there will be illegal ones and people will die. Yeah. So, you know, that like, we got to wake up to a lot of these things and you're the living evidence of that, which is pretty amazing. 100%. And, and it's, it's interesting, because some people say my values are conflicted. You know, you, you heard me mention my my kids yep. go to private private Christian school. Yep. Um, and, and so my wife and our here, here, my wife and I, here's how I would explain it. Yeah. Um, my wife and I would never have a, an abortion, my, well, my, my wife. Um, but given my background of where I come from, I understand what what the having an abortion and, and, and things of that nature go through. So uh, the way I see this and the, and the may, way I make peace with it is um, it's not for me to judge someone else. 
and that that's up to who and whatever maker you you believe in so it, it's I, I come from that environment so i'll be damned if it, i'm going to be the person that says no you shouldn't ha have an abortion it's a choice in our household and my wife and i would never do it but i completely understand the other side and why people do have abortions but that's the key you just said it there javon which is is you can make your own choice for yourself that doesn't mean you have to judge someone for making a different choice. Totally. And all too often, that's the case. People are judging people for not making the choice they would make. Right. You know, I, you can choose to do whatever you like. It's none of my business. It's your life, right? If it inflicts on my life, that's a different story. Then I have some right to say something about it. But if it's not directly impacting my life, I should be minding my own business. And as a very good friend of mine who is, who is a Christian, who... And I will tell you this, he's a Christian and he says, I don't like Christians. These, that's his words. Right? And, and he doesn't mean that, of course, in the, in the way that in the broad sense, what he means is he doesn't like the Christians who judge everybody about right. it. And he, says, and he says, very simply, because I only live by one rule. And he said, what would Jesus do? Yeah, that's his rule. He says, I, I live by that. He goes, and as far as I can, I'm concerned, any of the judgment around things, that's not how Jesus would look at it. So he right. goes... You know, so he goes, I can't see um, that Jesus would turn the corner, see two guys kissing and go, you're an abomination. Right. Because Jesus said, forget the Old Testament, which is Leviticus, and focus on this, right? focus on my teachings. So he said, so I try to live in that space, which I think is a pretty dang good place to live. Oh, hell yeah. It, you know, I, I got to go a little further on that one. And I promise we won't turn this into a, a Sunday morning sermon. But it, it's interesting. I live by this. The, it says, love thy neighbor as thyself. Mm -hmm. and, and it also goes on to say, this is the most important commandment. Now, the right. key is, it says, love thy neighbor as thyself. It doesn't say love thy neighbor only if they're not mixed race, love thy neighbor only if they're not gay, love thy neighbor only if they're not transgender. So I, I, I find it to be complete bullshit when people try to judge someone based on a choice that they made that maybe yeah. it's a choice that I wouldn't make. I don't have to necessarily respect your decision, but I damn sure have to accept your, your decision. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. And, and you know, I mean, I, I realize it's a sidebar, but it was really, I think it's an important one because you are the living experience of that, right? Oh, you know what you said? No, think, think about this. I was illegal in this country, in the, in the States, until 1967. Mixed race was illegal. You, I wasn't even allowed to be born in this country yep. until 1967. So given that I, I that along with I know full well what it's like to be judged for being yep. half white, half black, mixed race, man, I completely am, am accepting of people's different views, values, because I understand what it's like to, to not be accepted. But that's part of the challenge we face in our society, don't you think, is that, you know, I, I, I've, as you know, I speak on politics and, and leadership as a generality. And one of the questions I've been asked all the time is, you know, this was way back. And I was asked about this particular Republican leader who, who was very anti-gay and, you know, transgender and all those kinds of things. And then, quote, evolved. And that's fine. Great. I'm good that you evolved. But why did he evolve? He evolved because he found out his son was gay. 
Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, and I, I don't, I'm not making uh, disrespectful comments to him. The, my point here is that nothing's real until it's real for you. Yep. And so in that moment, you suddenly, your little box of understanding starts to open up and you let something else in. And so that's why the name of this show is, as you can see above, Curiosity Bites. It's like we got to take a bite out of curiosity. We got to chomp down onto curiosity. And that gets us away from the judgment. And it would be very easy. And we're going to jump a little bit and then we're going to come back to where you finished. It would be very easy to, to judge this guy with a non-white first name, a very white <laughs> last name, who was the son of a uh, pimp and an orphan girl who grows up in not the best area to say, this kid's a write-off, right? It would have been very yeah. easy for people who don't understand to say that kid's a write-off. And that's why I started the show out with what I was saying about every artist is given the raw material and we are the artists of our life. And what we sculpt out of that is completely and totally up to us. And some people just keep re-sculpting the same mess. Yeah. Yep. It, it's funny. You said, I grew up in a not nice area. And uh, I, I grew up. Like I realized that's an understatement. Yeah, it, was, it was like two blocks away from hell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, when you go, to, you just head directly to hell and about two blocks before. Yeah. Turn left. That's where I live. You're going to see a tree and go ahead and turn it. Oh, man, there it is. <laughs> See, for me, there was no trees where I grew up. Like, I went on a holiday as a kid. I was taken on a, on the, uh, by the Jewish Benevolence Society. I was taken on a holiday. So we got to go to the countryside. Like I'd never seen the countryside. I grew up in urban, right? And, and we were sort of given this time out with my friend and I, and we went out and we went to play in this field. And we were jumping from rock to rock, but we'd never seen rocks like this because these rocks were hard. But then when you landed on them, they were soft. Wow. <laughs> oh man. It looked like a rock as far as I can see, right? But All right, I jump so, on it and then it was like, oh, it's soft. Oh, that's weird. Let's do it again. So so I've since you, it took it to, you took it to cow shit. I I remember when and this that night we really went left down the street. Um I remember when I moved to got reunited, reunited with my mother in Texas. I was 15 years old. I'm at my friend's house and his mother said they were going to order pizza. And the doorbell rings about 45 minutes later. And she says, Hey, can you answer the door? I answer the door and the pizza guy standing there with the pizza. And he, and, and I didn't know what was going on. And so I went and got his mom and I said, Hey, there's somebody at the door with pizza. And she goes, Oh yeah, that's the delivery. Long story short, man, here I was 15 years old. I did not know that people would bring pizza to your house. That was right. the first time I realized, oh, wow, they will bring this. I left that kid's house, ran home, and told my mom about it before I went back and, and ate pizza because I was so excited to find out, wow, you, you can order a pizza and they'll bring it to your house. Yeah, it, it, again, it's this idea, and, and it's really something worth discovering for people as we listen here is the idea of what you have normalized that you take for granted that other people don't have any understanding of. It's beyond their reason until they're exposed to it. But once that happens, everything transforms. And the problem with that is now you that becomes normal and we start to take things for granted because yeah. 
the law of familiarity says the longer we are in contact with something, the less important it becomes. That's why most people's marriages go down the toilet because they don't bother to re-examine them and reevaluate them and, and lift them. So yep. they just, you know, it's, yeah, it's, you know, whatever. No, not really, but okay. <clears throat> you can do that, but it's not going to work out well for you. Uh, I, I totally agree. In, in matter of fact, I, I'm very conscious of that. And I, and I make sure that I don't normalize just little things. I, I still get excited when I turn the light on and, and the mm. lights come on at home. Cause I remember when I would turn them on as a kid and they didn't come on or turning on the water, flushing the toilet, uh, food in the refrigerator. I, I know what that looks like to not have it. So for, for me, I, I make it a very, very, um, I'm very direct and, and, and intentional. There's a, in, in mm -hmm. making sure that I have gratitude for the, those little things that we tend to take for, for granted. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, there's an interesting thing here that comes up as you're saying that Javon, and that is this, um, you know, you and I did not grow up in, in the places we live today. Um, and it's easy to sort of sideline that that history and i do think it enriches the way that we see the world there's no doubt about that in my mind at least um however i realize i'm beginning to realize as i get older that it's almost unbelievable to people it, it's almost because um not to people who still are obviously very poor, but to people who, you know, who I tend to interact with, who are very high level individuals who are doing very well in their lives, you know, often, you know, billionaires. Um, and, and it's inconceivable to many of them that, you know, uh, we didn't have an inside toilet. What do you mean? Uh, we didn't have toilet paper. <laughs> what, what do you mean? It didn't have, we, there was no such, we couldn't afford toilet paper. What did you use? News of the world, right? That's what it was called, right? The Manchester Evening News, right? Cut into squares and stuck on a nail in the outhouse. You know, and that, I'm not saying that to, to impact anybody and make them think, oh, that's so terrible. But it's like this basic understanding of wiping your butt is a luxury. Yeah. And this understanding of the things that, we be, we become we live in a society that has become so um, material driven, and and in the process of that, which is fine, but in the process of it, we lose the value of things. And um, I I've talked about this a lot in my own keynotes and my own presentations. In that, I, at the age of ten, I I bought the American dream. I fell in love with America, and I followed the U.S. politics since I was ten. Uh, with the death of Martin Luther King, I was on my we're on my tenth birthday. I was became aware of it and started following it. And I fell in love with this American dream that poor people could become something great, because that was not true in the world that I grew up in. It didn't appear to be true in the world I came up in, unless you were a pop star. So. I, I wanted to I wanted to understand that things could be bigger, but one of the things I'm seeing today, and I'm really interested in you in what you're saying, think about this, because one of the things I'm seeing, and this is both from my studies of history and politics and, and economics, uh, this I know for sure, 1981, 82 was the beginning of the great gap. 
And the great gap is now that the, uh, since then it's grown, which is the gap between the ultra wealthy and the ultra poor is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The American dream therefore has fallen through that gap. The middle class is disappearing. The possibility of making that jump from being very poor to being very wealthy is almost, almost not quite, but almost impossible these days. Where it wasn't when I was a kid or when you were a kid. And I think that we, we're still being sold this American dream while ignoring the poor, while we're ignoring the people who need our help. Because, you know, we have these language patterns around things like pull yourself up by your bootstraps, <laughs> but I don't have any boots to put the straps on. Right, right. <laughs> let alone the straps. You know, it's, it's so I feel like there's become such discompassionate um, thinking as long as I just focus on the goal and I try to make all the money and I try, you know, I can do it. And the devastation of that one, knowing that this gap is getting bigger is going to be pretty terrifying. I'm really interested in it from you because, you know, you and I grew up in absolute poverty, but I'm not an American. You grew up with it and you're a man of color. You grew up with it with the prejudice and, and the, uh, the poverty. Talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing in that world. Uh, man, I, oh, I appreciate that question. It's, it's a combination for me. What, what, I'm going to hit first on what you just said uh, yeah. about pull, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but I, I don't even have boots. Right. You know, it, it, I know, especially here in the States, everybody always, you know, education is the key. Education is, is the key. I, I got a damn GED. And, and so, but what was interesting is, and still interesting, so many people are running around saying education is the key. Well, I got to have the tools to get an education. Do you realize that I was the kid in school that when the third grade teacher, Mrs. Dedek, said to me, who needs a piece of paper? I raised my hand. Who needs a pencil? I raised I showed up with no school supplies. But education is the key. If I don't even have the tools to get an education, how am I going to get an education? Exactly. And, and so, so many people, as you said, who are disconnected from that type of reality don't even understand. We're talking the fundamental basics of life, mm -hmm. food, water, shelter. Uh, and so now I, I will say this, and this is, might sting a little bit for some people. Uh, I am big on, on accountability. And, mm -hmm. and so it, what, what also seems to be disappearing in, in our country is account accountability. Everyone blames somebody else for something going on. Absolutely. And, and, and there's very little, I'm not going to say it's, it's, it's disappeared, but there's very little accountability. We always want to point the finger and blame someone else. And I, I, I look at it this way. On my worst day as a kid, I don't care if it was when I was sexually molested by my dad's prostitute. I don't care if it was when I was pulling food out of a trash can because I was hungry. On my worst day as a kid, here's something that I never had to face. Right now, at this very moment, there are people down on the border of Texas and Mexico dying to get into this country to create an opportunity for themselves. Yeah. Just, just willing, willing to put their life on the line to cross that river and get into this country. And when they get here, they have no home, they have no food, they have no job, they have no money, but they're willing to put it all on the line to create an opportunity for themselves. 
man, on my worst day, I never had to face any of that. So the way I look at life is, okay, worst case scenario, I was born in this country. Yeah. So I've got a responsibility to go out, make it happen. Now, I'm not going to act as if I'm going to turn a blind eye to the big uh, inequality that, that's out there. Yes, that's there. But this, I, I can walk and chew gum. I can take mm -hmm. accountability and I can identify the inequalities at the same time. Yes. What I find that happens is some people get it's either all right. They get caught in the victim mindset. They're blaming somebody else. So there's no accountability and they're making no efforts. And then there's people who understand who go with the, Oh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And they don't see the, the inequalities that are out there. So there's the, I can walk and chew gum and see both at the same time. Thank you for that. That's really important. Um, because you know, right now, as we're recording this, there's uh, Bernie's trying to push through the $15 minimum wage. And I'm like, I'm just looking at the people who are opposing it. And I'm going, you don't get it. And no. there was a guy who said, you know, well, when I was I started out at $6. And I'm like, yeah, that's equivalent to $22 today. You know, in, in economic ratio, Right. Over time, that would have been $22. You go, well, I managed on $6. Yeah, well, a loaf of bread was one-fifth of what it costs today. Right. You know, it's like, I don't get the ignorance. I'm appalled by the ignorance of that. And then there is all the mental constraints that go along with all those things. If So, for instance, when I went to school, you know, I, I, I'm very fortunate. I had a wonderful mom in that I never went to bed hungry and I never went to school hungry. You know, I might got a boiled egg, but I got something, right? I got something. Um, I got bone soup, you know, which was a bone from the butchers that she broke with a hammer, put in water with a, with a tablespoon of gravy browning, a couple of uh, potatoes and a carrot, you know, and we all ate that but we had some, something and we washed it down with a loaf of nasty white bread that you could use to fill walls. I mean, it was just nasty <laughs> stuff, right? I'm surprised I ever took a shit in the rest of my life. That stuff would block holes in pipes. But it, you know, I, that was there. But, you know, when we look at, this happened in the UK um, during the pandemic, they cut off the funding to children's lunches which meant that some kids did not eat because the only meal they got was a school lunch and it suddenly was gone. And the lack of compassion, the lack of understanding this, this presumption that, well, everybody's got that, right? No. And, and so how would, you know, if you had that sort of magic wand, how would you wake them up to that? Oh man, <laughs> you, 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 uh, you, you hit a hot button. Uh, no, it, it, it's here's what, what really pissed me off here, here in the States. We were arguing about reopening schools and masks and, and, and it's still going on right now yes, about re, reopening yep. schools. And, and here's what really pissed me off. What we were arguing about was how is this affecting the middle class? Because what no one took the time to, to consider or thinking about, or think about maybe some people did, um, when we went shelter in place and we shut the schools down, there were over 7 million low-income kids. I don't care what color, low-income kids yeah. who now did not eat, 
who already school was an escape for them because they lived in some, excuse my language, man, they lived in a fucked up household yep. that, that the, the abuse, the neglect, school was their uh, uh, respite. It was a way out. Yep. It was a way out. And, and so then they then they had a, a counselor maybe they could talk to, a teacher they can make, maybe talk to. So for that six, seven hours a day while they were in school, they had an escape. And then we had the nerve to start talking about um, uh, distance learning. Hell, these kids didn't even have internet at home. They Let alone iPads, they didn't have internet. And so it really frustrated me that the, the these just selfish debates that were going on about arguably the middle class is what we were arguing about. How's it affecting the middle class, the upper middle class, the rich, the wealthy? And you have a group of kids right now that were already going to be left behind. They're even further behind now. Yeah. And no one talked about those kids. And why it was a hot button for me is because I was one of those kids. I was that kid who depended on that free lunch. I was that kid who, when I got my free government welfare lunch on Friday afternoon, I didn't eat again until Monday afternoon when I got my free government lunch. And I know what it's like for those kids to go to bed hungry, wanting a meal, worried about, you know, just, just the stress that you have as a kid. So, uh, when, when I hear those debates, I hear those arguments it, it really disgusts me because, again, it goes back into the people of you have no clue what the other side uh, of the, the tracks are, are like. And, and here you are trying to make a comment on something that you don't truly understand. Yeah, it, this is what I'm saying. It's it's the the you know, we, we all hear about oh people live in the Fox bubble or they live in the MSNBC bubble. But we don't realize that we're all living in our own bubbles. Yeah. And I've talked about this a lot, that the, the social media gives us an algorithm. The algorithm tells us, oh, you clicked on this, you're going to get more of that. And all that does is insulates you against the rest of the world and against the rest of your society. And how much time do you spend? You know, um, I spent the first, first years of my, when I was trained to be a psychologist, I spent the first year and a half in Perth, Western Australia with my teacher and we would go and hang out on the street with the street kids and talk to the street kids. And I was blown away with what I learned. Uh, now, remember, I, you know, I'm from abject poverty, so it wasn't the poverty that, but what I learned about the people. And I want to come to that because of how you've evolved and what you've become. We're already at the end of the first part of this show and it's been great. And thank you for really being open for us. It's been wonderful. And for you, dear listener, you know, remember to tune into part two of this show um, with our guest, Javon McCormick. Um, and I want to remind you that every one of our shows is brought to you by the Awesome Music Project. The Awesome Music Project, bringing uh, mental health through stories and music. And it's an amazing foundation doing great work. The book is a beautiful, beautiful book that is uh, a beautiful coffee table book with stories in there by people like uh, Michael Bublé and Sarah McLaughlin and famous people and about how music has impacted their life and changed their mental health. You can find out more about them by going to 
uh, awesomemusicproject.com, theawesomemusicproject.com. You can find out about the book there. You can find out about the AMP project as well. All right, we'll be back in just a few. Stay curious, my friends. Stay curious.